Hail Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Dripping water wears away a stone. Remember that, my child. Remember you are half water. If you can't go through an obstacle, go around it. Water does. Welcome to Storytelling Water, the 241st episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of Margaret Atwood. Our opening and closing music is credited as Frost Waltz Alternate by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. You may call me Ode. Mary Meet, my name is Gwyn, Ode's mother, and ironically, it is raining outside. It is. So I Appropriately? Guess, appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the irony appropriateness yeah, of I don't the rain know if, I outside. Don't, yeah, I don't know if it's ironic, but it is appropriate, certainly. Yeah. Yes, it is appropriate for our topic mm-hmm. because... Water. Yep. It's been raining all day, in fact. Yeah, pretty damn much. Yes, it has. And, it, and you might be able to hear the, the pitter-patter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. we'll see. I don't think you'll pick it up a ton right now, but if it if the rain picks up, we might. Mm-hmm. All right. So let us begin with housekeeping. Housekeeping. So Gwen has some news she wants to share. Uh, yes. Uh, this is in regard to um, the Trevor Project. Um, I saw both on a TikTok and then read in the Washington Blade that there has been um, some scandal, I guess, going on with um, the Trevor Project. There's been some rumors of potentially mismanaged money, some fighting among the the staff, um, things like that. So, And I think you said something about union busting? Yeah, there's been potentially some union busting going on. There's just, it's a lot of rumors. I don't know if any of it has been substantiated. But just so that you are aware that there has been some trials and tribulations going on with the Trevor Project. So if you are looking to either contact an organization to assist you or to um, donate money to. Donate to, to, yeah. Yeah, you might want to try Point of Pride or some other, one of the many other. Right, there are uh, hajillions of them. You know, organizations out there, they may be smaller, they may not have as big of a reach, but Mm -hmm. that's why they could use the money. So, and the support. Right. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, you can do your own research. Yeah, and, and see I want to be clear think. that we're not making any accusations because no, no, I've not even heard anything about this. Yeah, so. not making any accusations, just saying that is what the scuttlebutt is. So you might want to do some research yourself and decide where, if you are donating to or asking for help from an organization who you want to go to. Sure. I have more uplifting <laughs> housekeeping. Uh, I want to point to transformationsproject.org. Mm. Um, they are one of the many organizations currently tracking the progress of trans legislation in the United States nice. and also providing uh, resources for trans youth. And you can sign up for their newsletter, and I really suggest you do because you will get a weekly letter in your email which will like list... Uh, sort of the policy successes Mm -hmm. recently, which can be really nice. That's at the top of the newsletter. They say, like, here are all the good things that happened for us this week. Huzzah! Right? Which is sort of uh, encouraging. That's what you want to hear. Uh-huh. And then it'll have, further down the newsletter, it'll have, you know, the challenges that are still ongoing. And the best thing is it also has specific actions you can take to deal with these issues. So it'll point you to specific resources. It'll suggest people you can call or letters you can write or specific ways you can take action on ongoing challenges Mm -hmm. for the trans community. So I think it's a really good sort of um, collected resource for if you don't know where to start, but you want to get active in the fight, Mm -hmm. um, transformationsproject.org. I love it. 
Mm-hmm. I love that. That is very cool. Yeah. So I've signed up to their newsletter and oh, I good. encourage everyone else to as well. Yes. And then we can keep up to date on mm-hmm. what's going on. I like uplifting news. That's yes. a good thing. And then one other thing I did want to bring up, just as a brief mention, because this will we'll be talking about it ongoing until February. Right. But uh, Convocation 2024 in it's Detroit. Been, it's been officially announced. It's been officially announced. Uh, it'll be from February 22nd through the 25th. And they are going to be hosted at the Ann Arbor Marriott Ypsilanti at Eagle Crest Hotel. Which is a new hotel. New hotel. Which is good, because I remember the last... Well, we had a fire last yes, year. Yes, the last year, it wasn't It wasn't great. <laughs> or this year, I guess. Yeah, yeah, this year it wasn't great. We practically had frostbite. Yeah, um, and there was... I, I, my understanding is a lot of the staff was new, mm, and... And they were understaffed. And they were understaffed, and just, it was not... It was not the... Um, the place we had become accustomed to. Yeah, it, it, there was a lot. And I, my understanding was the food wasn't as good as yeah. in past. Although and we didn't eat at the restaurant, we didn't so eat I don't at the know. Restaurant. But, but yeah, so there were just a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. I had some issues. We had issues with the room, with the getting room, checked in. With get, we had issues there with were some my people card had, being charged yeah, for something that wasn't that wasn't mine. That didn't happen, yeah. yeah. I know of some people who had even more problems with mm-hmm. their room than we did. Like, we managed oh, to get in hours. on the first day that we got there. But there was, I think there was a, uh, a couple of people who like they didn't even get in the whole first day that yeah. they were there. Like, they were sitting in the lobby yeah. with their luggage for most of the day. Yeah, like yeah, so it was. It was. Not I'm good. not surprised that we have changed hotels. Yeah, so hopefully it will be good. Hopefully it'll be a good spot. It's going to be again. It's going to be the Ypsilanti mm-hmm. area, Ann Arbor yep. area, instead of uh, Southfield. I think yeah. is where it was off, before. Off towards Detroit. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's uh, we'll be announcing more information about that mm-hmm. as as time, it comes out. <laughs> as it comes out, and as time goes on. But currently, you can go. It's convocation.org. Okay. So just convocation.org. That'll give you all the information you need about upcoming 2024 2024 convo. And if you have the opportunity to go. Mm-hmm. We encourage you. Oh, they have started uh, early registration. So okay, good. Yes. So if you like know that you're committed and you want to go, you can mm-hmm. re- start registering. Yeah, you can. I don't know if the hotel information is available yet for re- you know registering for a room, but you can pre-register for the conference. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. Is that everything? I believe so. Then we are house kept and house swept. All right. So. We have stories to tell. Yes, we do. So my first story, um, like I said, just the theme for this week is that all of our stories involve water. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell the Babylonian creation myth because it starts in water. Very nice. So in the beginning, there was nothing but two commingled waters. There was the sweet water, which was Apsu, and there was the salt water, which was Tiamat. Mm. Um, And these waters were indistinguishable but separate right like they were they were distinct beings but they were sort of coiled up together and they were the only thing that existed makes sense and apsu and tiamat the sweet and the salt waters basically were like they considered themselves married Mm. like they were partners Mm -hmm. they came together to create beings to create new gods like you do like you do um, birthed out of their commingled waters. Hmm. And they created some gods, and then those gods created more gods, and then those gods created more gods. Whole bunches of and gods. And before you know it, the waters were just absolutely chock-a-block full of <laughs> gods. 
so many gods. Uh huh. And they were rowdy, and they kept causing problems and being loud and stirring up the waters. And Tiamat did not approve. <laughs> she was not happy with any of this. She wanted calm, she cool wanted, waters. Exactly. She wanted calm waters with her spouse, Apsu, mm-hmm. and just these children should just exist quietly in them. And, wow, children should and, be seen and not heard. They should be polite. It goes all the way back to Babylon. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Apsu tries to calm their children, to calm all these new gods, but they don't listen to him. They have mm. no respect for their father. <laughs> so finally, Apsu goes to one of the oldest of the of the created gods, Mumu, and asks, what do you think I should do? What what's, what advice do you have for oh getting gosh. your siblings <laughs> and children to behave? <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh-huh. Um, and and I, of the younger generation. Exactly. Why won't you children listen to me? <laughs> and and Apsu says, like, Tiamat is very unhappy. Tiamat is probably going to kill you all if you don't stop. Mm. She is the salt waters, and she is very salty about this. Mm-hmm. I, the sweet waters, would prefer not to kill you all, but... Tiamat has strong feelings about Mm -hmm. this. And Mumu considers and concludes, no, Tiamat's right. She should just kill all of the younger gods. (laughs) (laughs) All the the young rowdy ones. Harsh. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Apsu is like, oh, I I didn't expect that answer, but thank you for your contribution, Mumu. (laughs) Now, one of the other young gods was spying on this conversation because obviously... With nothing in the world existing except the waters and the gods, mm-hmm. it's very hard to have a private conversation. I would assume. So Ia, one of the gods, was close enough to hear all of this going on. Ia decided he didn't approve of any of this. Mm. So got a bunch of the other gods together, and they conspired to cast a spell on Apsu to make him fall asleep. Oh, dear. <laughs> so Apsu fell asleep, fell into a deep, deep sleep. Um, and couldn't be roused by Mumu, who realized, uh-oh, something's going on. So Ia and the younger gods approached Apsu, seeing that Mumu couldn't wake him and knowing that their spell was working, mm-hmm. and killed him. Oh, dear. They murdered Apsu, the sweet waters. They... Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they did not think that one through. No. So they murdered Apsu, the sweet waters. So the only waters that were still left were Tiamat, the salt waters. Oh, God. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, Ia, like, steals Apsu's raiments and vestments of power and sets himself up to be the new high important god. Cheeky. Uh Uh-huh, yes. And then all the younger gods who had been with Ia to to help him kill Apsu Mm -hmm. turn to Tiamat and are like, nah, 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 nah. (laughs) You didn't do anything when your consort was killed. You just let us slay him. Oh, my God. She is the original salty goddess, (laughs) y'all. Yes. So Tiamat... It's filled with an unfathomable, unbounded rage. Yeah. So she decides she's going to go to war with all of the younger gods and wipe them out. I really can't say I blame her. No, I think she's right on this mm-hmm. one. <laughs> so she rallies some of the older created gods to her cause, mm-hmm. um, Mumu and some of the others, mm-hmm. and she creates 11 dragons to be her weapons and she fills their veins with venom instead of blood um, derived from her salt waters. Is this where we get some of our dragon legends? It is. Um, So she yeah so she creates these 11 dragons as weapons of war sets up to destroy the younger gods. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately oh boy 
Unfortunately, uh, Ia knows of a very powerful young god named Marduk. And has Marduk brought before him, says, Hey, <laughs> uh, Tiamat's gonna kill everyone. Do you think you can stop her? And Marduk's like, if I get to be king, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, see, Marduk, he's not a dummy. <laughs> no, Marduk's like, listen, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to mm. be king. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you're going to give me all the power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ea consults with various elder gods and, and important beings in the Babylonian mythology, and they all conclude, yes, Marduk probably is the only person who can kill Tiamat. Yeah. So yep. you're just going to have to let him be king. Yep. Uh, and so Marduk gets the arrangement he wants, and he goes to war with Tiamat. Oh, boy. He kills the older gods who aligned themselves with her. He There's kills... always the uh-huh. younger ones that kill the older ones. Yep. He kills the uh, the 11 dragons. Oh, no. Yes. Marduk. All, all 11 dragons are slain. Um, mm. And Tiamat is slain. Okay. So they've killed all the waters now. That's not good. And Marduk chops Tiamat's corpse in half mm-hmm. and sets one half up to be the sky and the other half up to be the, the land floating in the okay. remaining waters the of Apsu. And okay. that's how the world is created. <gasps> Interesting. Poor yeah. Tiamat. Poor Tiamat, yeah. She, like, she just wanted to live happily with her hubby. Uh-huh, and have some peace and quiet. She have some peace and quiet. <laughs> Fucking kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Uh-huh. All her children. All her children. Ungrateful yeah. wretches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Oh, oh Especially God. Apsu didn't deserve any of this shit. No, he didn't. Apsu wasn't on plan, killed the children at all. Oh, I don't know why they decided to pick on him. I guess because he, he was should have gone night. straight to Tiamat, Tiamat, but I guess Apsu they, was the easy target. Yeah, so. probably. I'll, why they thought that wouldn't get some ire. <laughs> right. Or some revenge against them. But then along comes Marduk. Marduk. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's a sad story that ends sadder, I think. Yes. I wish Tiamat had won. <laughs> kind of do too <laughs> even though she's the evil dragon goddess yeah but you know hey first of all dragons dragons yeah. but with of all, venom instead of blood for yes. the veins. but i mean honestly it it was kind of understandable uh-huh yeah <laughs> yeah like the reason she wanted to kill everyone with dragons was because they murdered her husband so yeah. I, mean, I can under- who was originally the only other being than her who existed i mean at least with uh with zeus his father was eating was all eating of his everyone. children, yeah. you know. Whereas Apsu was just he like... Was saving his siblings. Exactly. Whereas <laughs> Apsu was just like trying to figure out how to get everyone to behave so that Tiamat wouldn't be mad at everyone. Oh <laughs> and like Tiamat g- genuinely was like, maybe I'll just kill them all <laughs> and we could start again. <laughs> you know, that, it seems like a logical solution uh-huh. if you're a really salty goddess. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But she was reluctant to do it because they were her, her creations kids. with Apsu. Yeah, yeah. So that was why she didn't just, like, jump straight to that. She was, like, hesitating on mm. plan kill all the children because they were her creations. Yeah. They were part of Apsu yeah. and her. And, and her. so she wanted to, you know, figure something out. She loved her Apsu. Uh-huh. She loved her Apsu much more than she loved her children. And her children dramatically well, misunderstood that. Quite, quite frankly, it sounds like she wasn't wrong. <laughs> Yeah, apparently her children were all homicidal maniacs. (laughs) God. (laughs) Well, that was interesting. Mm -hmm. I'd never actually heard the creation story, the Babylonian creation story. That's very interesting. Yeah, this is from uh, one specific manuscript or tablet, I think. I forget what it's called, the Amon something. Mm. That is about 500 years older than the library it was found in, and this is the only version of that story that exists. Fascinating. Yep. Fascinating. 
Okay. Elle says the gods all have perfectly healthy familial relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Dwyer says, and they say the Greek deities were a dysfunctional family. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? I think the Babylonians have them, have them beat. beat. Yeah. <laughs> I think they We have murdered them beat. both of our primal creation deities, <laughs> and we think it was good, actually. <laughs> well, okay. You know. But, uh, all right. So, I'm. Speaking of the Greeks, right. I'm taking my story from the Greek mythology uh, having to do with Hylas, mm. who was companion, uh, servant, and lover to Heracles. Ooh. Hylas was born into the royal court of the, Dryop- of the Dryopes. They were the people on the land that would be known as Doris. Okay. Where the Doric columns and such come mm. from. Okay. And he was the son of King Theodamus, and uh, it's said that Theodamus's wife, Menadice, was the daughter of Orion. Mm. So got um, some divine ancestry in there. Mm-hmm. But he would soon become fatherless. Oh, no. Because of Heracles. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that tracks interestingly with his apparent yeah. role. It was said that Heracles killed one of Theodamus's prized plowing bulls mm. when he was hungry. Mm. And Theodamus died when he sought retribution against Heracles. Mm. So basically, it's, you know, he got pissed off that somebody done at one of his, his prized prize bulls. bulls. Mm-hmm. And then when he went to, you know. To say, hey. Deal with the matter. <laughs> dumb shit. You know. Heracles, being Heracles, uh, murdered him. Murdered him. Yeah, yep. Heracles was a very murdery man. This was not unusual no, for Heracles. Yeah. This was this is this you know, is normal. Yeah, he was considered a hero, but so, but he in had the very some shady. But, but hero in the Greek sense, where it really mm-hmm. just means like very strong person. Yeah, <laughs> not like heroic. Now it you know, and honestly, normally because Hylas would have had would well have been within his rights to attack mm-hmm. Heracles yeah. because his father, the king, uh-huh. was killed. But uh, instead, he took uh, Hylas as his servant mm. and his companion and his lover. Uh, at I'm some gonna put, point, I'm gonna put big air quotes around lover. that, considering the circumstances. Yes, considering the circumstances. Probably because he was a beautiful youth. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So was, he was taken by his beauty. Mm-hmm. And so that was the reason why he spared his life. Part of the thing that makes Hylas really kind of renowned mm-hmm. in Greek mythology and one of the one of the mysteries of the Greek mythologies mm-hmm. is that he, eventually he went on, you know, with Heracles on his uh, travels. Right. And so he was one of the Argonauts. He went on the Argo oh, okay. with Heracles and... You know, Jason, Jason and the Argonauts. And so he... The whole crew. Tra- the whole crew. And he was part of those adventures until they got to Mycia to replenish their water and food. Okay. And it's like a, you know, a land area mm-hmm. where they, you know... It's an island. It's an island and they and they were... Or a peninsula rep- or something. Yeah, probably a peninsula. And they were, you know, docked there and they were getting their stuff. And so he went off. You know, Heracles must have been like, okay, just... Uh-huh. Go, your, go amuse yourself. Go amuse yourself because actually Heracles went hunting. Mm. And so Hylas uh, was actually sent to refill water pitchers. Okay. Yep. So he was going to like take jugs and, and yeah. go to whatever the local spring was and uh, fill the water and take it back to the ship. Well, while he found a source of fresh water at the spring of Pegai um, and he was filling his vessels, mm-hmm. 
there were some naiads in mm. the water, some water spirits. And, uh, you know, pretty much every spring, fountain, river has uh-huh. some kind of a, a, a water spirit. Yeah, a, a, a being. A being, a naiad. And these naiads in this spring, from the depths of the spring, as Hylas was dipping the jar in and pulling it and putting another one mm-hmm. and leaning over so they could see his beautiful face, mm-hmm. they spied that gorgeous boy from the depths and fell in love. Of course they did. Of course they did. Um, and this so, is Hylas's fate to just be fallen in love with by important people. Exactly. <laughs> Apparently, that is just this poor boy's. Uh, his doom. His doom. Because they decided that this mortal youth should be theirs. And so one naiad, possibly named Dryope, reached up through the water, took hold of Hylas, pulled him beneath the surface mm-hmm. of the spring. Of course, causing him to cry out in surprise and panic. Yeah. Um, Before his head went underwater, presumably. Yes. Now, it's said that um, another Argonaut... Polyphemus, son of Elatus, heard Hylas cry out, uh-huh. and he set out to find him, fearing that, you know, he'd been attacked by bandits mm-hmm. or had... A wild animals. A, yeah, a wild animal, something. And so he searched and searched and couldn't find him, and he actually came upon Heracles, who was returning from his hunting expedition, and so they, they went on a search together. Mm-hmm. And they searched and they searched, but Hylas couldn't be found. And some say that the naiads transformed Hylas's voice into an echo, so that when Heracles and Polyphemus called out for their comrade, Hylas could only repeat his own name. And then they drowned him, presumably. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another myth. Very says, ominous. Mm-hmm. And then another myth says suggests that perhaps Hylas did not wish to become mortal again. Maybe he wished to be immortal and ageless and spend eternity amongst the beautiful dyads, but chances are... I doubt they made him immortal <laughs> and, and ageless and able to breathe water. Mm-hmm. I just have doubts about that. Yeah, yeah. They made the difficult decision to leave Jason and the other mm-hmm. Argonauts to leave Hylas, Heracles, and Polyphemus behind because, you know, then that, that caused a lot of anger toward Jason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and eventually the the sea god Glaucus would inform the Argonauts that it was the will of the gods that Heracles was not to continue with the Argonauts. So it was the will of the gods to murder Hylas, specifically to distract Heracles. Apparently. But um, but yeah, so apparently they did search Mycia for a very long time, and they would continue to call out his name, and they could... You know, they thought they could hear his faint voice responding, mm-hmm. you know, his own, with name, his own name, with yeah. his own name. But eventually Heracles did have to give up the search. However, Polyphemus remained. He ultimately became the king of Sias, uh, but he would continue to search for his missing friend until his dying day. Well, damn, at least Polyphemus liked him. At least Hylas had one friend on that damn boat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hylas was never found. And is thought that perhaps even today he is an immortal among the naiads. I think he's dead among the naiads. Yeah, I think they I think drowned. His bones that are boy. at the bottom of that mm-hmm. pond, and they use that trick mm-hmm. of, of his ex- yeah, of his voice so that no one would find him. So that no one would find him. They keep searching. And mm-hmm. in fact, one of the reasons Polyphemus stayed and became king is because Heracles threatened to destroy the place <laughs> if if Hylas wasn't, wasn't found. Wasn't, yeah, wasn't found and returned presented to him. To him. And presented to him. Of course, and of he course. Did. So he kept looking for mm-hmm. him, and, and 
never found. He was never found. It's one of the, you know, one of those Greek Kylos tragedies. Kylos is very sad, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those Greek tragedies. It's one of, apparently, one of the, the most well-known of the Heracles stories. Mm. Because, you know, he was important to Heracles. Right. Whether he wanted to be or not, mm-hmm. probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Considering it started with his father's murder. With his father's murder. And he was essentially... Uh, kidnapped. Kidnapped. And yeah. Drafted. Yeah. Into a bunch of stuff. But yeah. Yeah, just because he was a pretty boy. Mm-hmm. And that just did not go well for him. No, it did not. Ever. It ultimately. <laughs> not a single time did it go well ultimately, for him. Ultimately, <laughs> it led to his doom with uh-huh. the naiads. Uh-huh. You know, because we like to being think, being pretty is not good in the Greek myths. No, it's really if you not. are pretty, you are fucked. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah, that is very true. That is very yeah. true. Yeah, Elsa is another moral of Greek mythology: don't be hot. Yeah, yeah exactly. don't be hot and don't lean over a fucking river. If you have to, you know, find some other way to fill your pitcher with with water from mm-hmm. a spring. Don't assume that the naiads are are not going to pay attention to you. Because they will drag your ass in. <laughs> El says, the best thing you can do in Greek mythology is be ignored by the gods and every other important being that exists. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. Be boring. Be boring. Mm-hmm. Be boring and not hot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, not, neither should you be like dramatically ugly because that might also get someone's that attention. That can also get someone's attention. You want to look just like completely just unremarkable. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, that is the tragic story of Hylas. Yep, very, very and sad. Dads. Poor Hylas. Poor Hylas. We started with sad stories tonight. <laughs> yes, we did. Well, I'd never heard of Hylas. No, me neither. And um, which is funny because you know. Yeah, apparently one of the one of the better one known of the, Her- one of the Heracles better known myths, Heracles but myths, but it I had not heard it that never one. made it into the Adventures uh-huh, of Hercules. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. Gee. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I just thought I'd share that, even though it's a very sad story. It is very sad. Thanks to our tiger, Solanox, for introducing us to Weavers of the Web, an interfaith pagan ATC, Aquarian Tabernacle Church, organization based in Lansing, Michigan. Weavers of the Web is a public Wiccan church that aims to be family-friendly, supportive, and informative, with the goal of ensuring that no one ever need be alone in their spiritual needs. Weavers is currently raising funds for the down payment on a property, which would allow them to expand their current network of resources, including dedicated community space, a permanent home for a Pagans in Need pantry, and a lending library. Join them online or in person for regular events, including rituals and discussion groups at weaversoftheweb.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash weaversatc. Hail Dictinus! Hail Dictinus! My next story is a biblical story. So if that squishy out, sorry. <laughs> but it is the about... biblical stories are good stories. Yeah. So it is about the healing at Bethesda. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that one. So there was a place, Bethesda. <laughs> yeah. Not uh, Maryland. No, not Maryland. <laughs> uh, um, it actually, it is, it's pronounced a variety of ways, but mm. Bethesda, I think, is the most uh, anglicized and, right. and the one that's going to be most familiar to most people. Yeah. So there was a place uh, where there was a pool that was said to have healing properties. And the sick always gathered there. So one day on the Sabbath, as he's walking around, Jesus comes across this pool. And he asks a man there uh, who's paralyzed uh, what he's doing. And the man says, well, hypothetically, I'm going into the healing pool. (laughs) But I've been here for 38 years because uh, I'm paralyzed. So it's very hard for me to get around. And... This pool only has healing powers once a day when there's the troubling of the waters. 
When an angel when an angel stirs it, and then the first person who goes in to the waters after it's been troubled by the angel is healed. But I can never get there in time, uh, and everyone else always goes in before me. So for thirty eight years, I've been waiting for my chance. And Jesus says, "Well, that seems foolish. Pick up your mat and walk." <laughs> and the man, uh, compelled by the Holy Spirit, presumably does so. He picks up his mat and he stands up and he says, "Okay." I guess I don't need the healing pool anymore. Thank you very much, sir. But before he can even see to thank uh, this stranger mm-hmm. who uh, just magically healed him with a word, Jesus slips away into the crowd. Mm-hmm. He would do that mm-hmm. before he became really big news. Mm-hmm. Later, some important temple leaders ask this man, hey. <laughs> did hey, you? you. To, yeah, hey, you. How are you walking? I didn't see you go into the waters. Um, Instead of, hey, uh-huh, look at yeah. you, you got healed. <laughs> exactly. It's, like, it's hey, suspicious. How did you do that? How did you get into the waters? And he says, well, I didn't go into the waters. A strange man just told me to pick up my mat and walk, and I guess it seemed like a good idea, so I did it. And <laughs> like they say, you do. Exactly. And they say, who was this man uh, who, who did this, uh, who healed you on the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, when you're not supposed to do any religious work? Uh, and the man says, I don't know. I don't know who he was. Uh, he didn't tell me his name, and he just vanished. Um, but later, at temple, Jesus comes back to the man and tells him, now make sure you don't do any sins, because even worse things will happen to you than being paralyzed for 38 years. Mm. I don't know why he feels the need to, to add this caveat mm-hmm. to this man, or what this man is supposed to, maybe he's, the, the, what's supposed to be implied is that the man, like, did a great sin, and that's why he was paralyzed. Maybe. Unclear. It's unclear. Unclear why Jesus feels the need to add this mm-hmm. uh, lesson because sins always involve something. I guess, yeah. So he comes up to this man in the temple afterwards and tells him, like, now don't do any sins or something worse than paralyzation will happen to you. And the man says, okay, great. What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus tells him his name and then leaves again. And the man says, hmm, didn't like that guy. So he goes back to the temple <laughs> leaders and is like, hey, I know the guy who said it. <laughs> now I have his name and uh, dobs him in. And, uh, and that's how Jesus comes to the attention of some important temple leaders who uh, the whole argument starts with, hey, you shouldn't be doing Healing. healings and religious work on the Sabbath. Why are you doing this? And furthermore, how are you doing this? And he says, well, my father's work never ends on Sabbath, so neither does mine. And at that point, they're like, oh, so you say you're equal to God. Great. We hate you. Mm-hmm. And that's how it all starts. That's how it all starts. At a pool mm-hmm. in Bethesda. I think Bethsaida is another way yes, to say Yeah, it. that's that's one of the other um, Anglicizations. Mm-hmm. So one of the interesting things about this story is that the part about um, the angel stirring the pool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is thought by scholars to have been interpolated into the text later. Oh, interesting. So it's not an original part of the text. And in fact, in some Bibles, you'll see those those lines in the verse are taken out. So it'll go from John, whatever it is, 3a mm-hmm. to 5. Because hmm. they will take out the line about the angel stirring the waters. And it's thought that this is because that interpolation might have been in reference to uh, the fact that this pool may have originally been a pagan healing pool. Oh, that was dedicated to Asclepius. Oh, Asclepius. We love Asclepius. So they think this pool was originally dedicated to Asclepius, and people were, during the Christianization period, still bathing in the pool to receive healing from Asclepius. Um, And the 
Greek Christians were especially frustrated by this Mm -hmm. because Asclepius was often referred to with the Greek word for savior, Mm. which was a word that they really wanted to apply specifically to to Christ. Yeah. So it's thought that this interpolation into John was an attempt to co-opt that pool mm-hmm. for, of Asclepius mm-hmm. and have Jesus specifically not use the pool, but heal someone in another oh, way, in a more powerful way. That's interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. That is a very, I'd never heard that. That's very cool. Yeah. So <laughs> it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. Because there's like... Mythology of Jesus yeah. doesn't involve like, oh, he needs the watered healer yeah. or, or any kind of sacred wells or anything right. like that. And we have to remember. But we know the Greeks had lots of sacred waters. Exactly. And we have to remember that at that time, Palestine and mm-hmm. Israel and all those, the Middle East yep. were, were, they had, they were Hellenized. Yeah, exactly. They were heavily. Heavily Greekified. <laughs> heavily Greekified that whole area before the Romans mm-hmm. came in mm-hmm. and took over. So that makes sense that 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 pool could very well have been exactly. dedicated to Asclepius. Yep. So that's some some scholarly theories about why that that's may have been an... interpolated into the text later. Yeah, that is so interesting. Yeah. So if you've ever seen a Bible where the healing at Bethesda, and this story is only in John. Yeah. It's, it's... not in any of the other Gospels. Yeah. yeah. So it's only in John. So if you've ever read a Bible that has a couple of verses missing in John mm-hmm. during the healing of Bethesda. That's why. I'm going to look that up. It's because they've removed the part about the angel stirring the pool. Because it wasn't originally in the text. It wasn't originally in the text. And the part that was originally added to the text doesn't mention an angel. It just says the waters are troubled. Okay. So it later gets interpreted or, as, or added to. Right, as being stirred, as by, stirred an angel. by an angel. Yeah. <gasps> that's so fascinating. Yeah. So that's why they think, like, this was maybe a natural spring or pool of some kind that was dedicated to Asclepius that maybe had... Some kind of underground... Exactly. Feeding. feeding. And that, like, it would feed in once a day or so. Something would cause it to bubble. To bubble. And that that people would be like, okay, that's the healing time. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) That is so cool. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So I thought that was neat. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Rhiannon says, they stole my boy's pool. Now I feel the need to find it, rededicate it to Soteria Asclepios, because how dare? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there was a lot of that that went on, Mm -hmm. because obviously, the you know, during that time, the Greeks and the Romans, you know, they were Yeah, everyone was building on each other's legacies. They were building on each other's legacy. And and stealing things from each other. Stealing things from each other. And we all know that when uh, Christians became the dominant religion in the area, Mm -hmm. that they would reinterpret reinterpret things pave over things yep. re, you know claim things for exactly their own. yeah and and a lot of that was an attempt to make the transition from paganism to christianity easier mm-hmm. uh, among the populace mm-hmm. so interesting yeah, but i think this was this is an interesting case because they don't say like oh jesus blessed that pool actually mm-hmm. they say jesus didn't even need the pool well yeah <laughs> and i think the important thing is whether you call it bethsaida or bethesda right. or how whatever the city was it was probably a well-known pool. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. Yeah, the exact location now is in dispute. Mm-hmm. There are like two or three different spots that where it been. where it could have been. Yeah, but at the time, it probably was a specifically known location. Yeah, and so if it was specifically known, then people reading this mm-hmm. story, they would know exactly what pool exactly they were talking about. And they would know it was an Asclepius pool. Yep. And that Jesus was greater than Asclepius. Exactly. And so basically this was a propaganda story. It was a propaganda story. (laughs) That's 
fascinating. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How cool. Thank you for finding that. You're welcome. That's I thought that was very neat. It's <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I grew up hearing that story over and over and oh, over yeah. again. Oh yeah, that's a, it's a very popular very story. Very popular story. Very, very And the well pool known. sort of only tangentially features in it right. as just like, oh, this guy couldn't get to the healing pool. Mm-hmm. But the whole reason the pool is there is yeah. because of I remember always this. thinking, why didn't anybody help the guy in? Yeah. <laughs> why didn't somebody just take him in there? That's probably another propaganda moment of, mm-hmm. well, the pagans don't even care about the people who really need it. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I, I, I did as a kid mm-hmm. and, and as a youth and, and yeah, whatnot. No, I, I always was like, why didn't somebody just well, and I remember, get him in there? And I remember in Sunday school this being framed as like, oh, the selfishness of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I would bet now, knowing sort of the propaganda origins of this of this part of the story, that it was specifically supposed to paint pagans yeah. as selfish, selfish. Mm-hmm. and sinful. sinful. Uh huh. And and this man, and this is probably why Jesus comes to this man don't and tells sin. him, "Don't do any more sins," because clearly he was a pagan. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was neat. <laughs> so cool. So cool. Thank you for sharing that. Such an, it's interesting to hear new perspectives on, especially when you grew up with a story and you grew up with a particular perspective Mm -hmm. and then you find out, oh, hey, there may be, there may be another side. Exactly. Some, some nuances. Some nuances that you were not familiar with. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What's your next story? Okay. Um, Mine is about Selkies and I'm not, it's not really a story so much as just talking talking about about Selkies. Selkies Selkies are neat. Mm Mm-hmm. They are a, a Scottish creature, a mm-hmm. mythological being. Uh, Finn is saying, eee! He's already excited. <laughs> Selkies. Uh, Selkie folk, or seal folk, are mythological beings capable of changing from seal to human by shedding their skin. From the Orkneys, Finn says. Mm-hmm. I guess on Shetland refers to them merely as mermen or merwomen. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we got the idea from, uh, of merfolk. Merpeoples. Is from the Selkies. Okay. Based on um, treatises on Shetland, interesting by an Orcadian folklorist, and many of the of the folk tales about Selkie folk have been collected from the Northern Isles, Orkney, and Shetland. Um, they frequently revolve around female Selkies yes, becoming uh, unwilling yep, wives, being coerced into relationships with humans by someone stealing their hide, and uh, forcing them to stay with them. L says, I always feel bad for Selkies, always getting kidnapped by incels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a typical folk tale is that a man, uh, of course. Of course. Who steals a female. Usually f- a fisherman. Yeah, some kind of a fisherman. Somebody who's aware of yeah, the Selkies. Who lives by the sea. Who maybe has seen the Selkie shed her skin, mm-hmm. come on shore. Yeah. And then return to who the sea. Who knows there's one in the area. Yeah, yeah, who knows there's one in the area. Return to the sea by returning you know putting her skin back on and shape-shifting back into a seal mm-hmm. um so it's usually uh, a man of some kind who steals a female silky skin finds her naked on the seashore mm-hmm. and quote-unquote compels her mm-hmm. to become his wife um you can now, pretty much you know you can fill in the gaps. Fill in the gaps on sometimes, what it means to compel a female to become your wife. Sometimes in the stories, like, possessing the skin gives the man, like, some kind some of... Some power. Yeah. Some, yeah. N- not just, like, coercive, mm-hmm. coercive power, but, like, 
like a mind control kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so that also where the compelling may come mm -hmm. in is that he has spied where she puts her, mm -hmm. her seal skin. And so he takes it and hides it. Hides it mm -hmm. So she doesn't have any choice yep. so much. She, yeah. She can't return to she the sea. She can't scene. return to the sea. So she has to, and she ends up having to stay with mm -hmm. the man um, as his wife. But the wife will spend her time in captivity longing for the sea, her true home, and will often be seen gazing longingly at the ocean. She, they say, sometimes will bear several children. Yep, usually. Usually um, for the husband. But once she discovers her, her skin, because mm -hmm. eventually... She'll find it. She'll find it. She's been looking. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't hide it from... He can't hide it from her forever. Mm -hmm. So eventually, it may take her a while, but she does eventually find her skin and will immediately, mm -hmm. immediately... Put it back on. Put it back on, abandon the children she has come uh -huh. to love, and... Because uh, her true place is in the sea. Yeah, return to the sea. Sometimes one of her children discovers or uh, mm -hmm. knows the whereabouts of the skin. Sometimes it's revealed she already had a first husband from her own kind. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and her own seal children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes the Selkie visits her family once a year and then mm -hmm. comes back to her her human family mm -hmm. to live on the land. Um, it just, it, they're fascinating. It yeah, yeah, it varies, but they're fascinating stories. It says that uh, children born between a man and seal folk may have webbed hands, as in the case of the Shetland mermaid, whose children had a sort of web between their fingers. Mm -hmm. Or Ursula rumored to have children sired by a male selkie such that the children had to have their webbing between their fingers and toes uh, clipped away intermittently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Probably so they couldn't swim wet. Right. <laughs> but there are people who just have like yeah. natural webbing, natural webbing. between and their I'm fingers sure and toes. That's probably where some of the mythology yeah, originated. comes from. Tried to explain why right. they would have this webbing. Oh, they're the children of a selkie. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> This is, I thought, was an interesting one from an Orkney version, is that um, a confirmed bachelor falls in love with a damsel among the selkie folk, and he captures her skin, but she searches the house in his absence, and uh, thanks to her youngest daughter, mm -hmm. who who watched her father hide, hide it, it under the roof, mm -hmm. gives the seal skin back to her mother so mm -hmm. she can go back to the sea. Yeah. Often it's the children who, mm -hmm. who end up solving it. Mm-hmm. I like Steal selkies. a selkie skin, get a wife. Not a good thing to do, boys. You gotta, yeah, I mean, I guess that, like, there's never, like, a retribution visited on yeah, these Yeah, that's the thing. I don't understand. It's they just like, lose the wife, but they get to keep the kids. They get to keep the kids. They lose the wife, but, um... But there's like, no, like, vengeance. But don't you wonder, don't you just wonder, what is, what is off with these guys that they can't get themselves a normal woman? Yeah. That they have to coerce yeah. a mythical being. Mm -hmm. They have to steal her seal skin mm -hmm. and hide it in order to coerce her yeah. into staying in human form and being his wife and bearing his children. So what's wrong with these dudes? Yeah, it doesn't say great things it for doesn't. their... Uh... It doesn't. They're prospects. And, and you can't say it's just because they're fishermen no. or sailors. Plenty or, or of fishermen something. and sailors manage to get married the normal way. Exactly. So it's like, what's wrong with these dudes? Something. That's my question. What is wrong with these dudes? Probably several things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They're assholes, says Finn. There yeah, there go. is that. Yes. Then <laughs> I have one more story. Mm -hmm. um, and this time I am actually not going to tell it the way I normally do. 
Mm. Um, as you know, normally I embellish and reinterpret stories. <laughs> Which is fun. Tell them in my own words. And that's very fun. And that's sort of the point of the series. But I found a story from the Hadanausi people, the five nations sometimes called by colonizers, by us, uh, the Iroquois Confederacy. So I found a story on firstpeople.us, which I would prefer to just sort of read in the words it was written because it's a living tradition and I don't want to be disrespectful to that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since the Seneca and the Mohawk and the other tribes of the Five Nations are from the Great Lakes area, my area. Yay! I owe these people for the land I live on. Absolutely. So, this story is The Wife of the Thunderer. And I do recommend going to firstpeople.us. They have a ton of First Nations legends and also like links where you can buy First Nations art and, and books and donate to them and support uh, sort of the work they're all doing. The Wife of the Thunderer. Many years ago, a young woman lived with her father's sister in the village of Gaugua, close to the Great Falls of Niaka. Her other relatives had died of the sickness which came each year to the people of her village. Although she was beautiful, hardworking, and kind to everyone, she was not treated well. She was dressed in the oldest clothing and made to do the worst tasks. Despite it all, her beauty shone through the dirt and ragged clothes. Many men thought they would be glad to marry her, but her aunt would give no man permission even to visit their lodge. As the years passed by, Aweoha, whose name means water lily, became more and more certain that she would never be allowed to marry. Then one day, during the moon when raspberries ripen, as Aweoha was grinding corn, her aunt came to her with a wide smile on her face. Make ready, girl, the aunt said. Tomorrow you will carry marriage bread to the man who will be your husband. Aweoha's heart lifted in her chest like a hummingbird taking flight. Who is the man I am to marry? Is it Big Tree? Is it Gray Eagle? Neh, said the aunt. I would never allow you to marry any young boaster such as those two. I have found a perfect husband for you. Tomorrow you will become the second wife of Sweaty Hands. Sweaty Hands? Of all the men in the village, there was no one more unpleasant. It was said that he beat his wife so badly that often she could not walk for a whole day's journey of the sun across the sky. His face was as ugly as his manners. He was short and fat as a woodchuck in the summer, and he never had a good word for anyone. He was even said to be a coward in battle. It was rumored that the wealth he had in his lodge had been gained only by treachery or by evil medicine. My aunt, Aweoha said, you are teasing me. Surely you do not want me to marry that awful man. But the aunt did not smile. Instead, her face grew ugly as sweaty hands. Girl, said the aunt in a loud and angry voice, I will not allow you to speak that way of a man who has given me such fine presents for your worthless self. You will carry the marriage bread to him tomorrow, or I'll whip the skin off your back. To prove her point, the aunt took a willow switch and brought it down several times across the girl's shoulders until the switch broke. Then turning her back, the aunt walked away and left Aweoha weeping. She did not hear the words which her niece spoke in a soft but determined voice. Neh, Aweoha said, I will never marry such a man. First I will die. Oh my gosh. That night, when Grandmother Moon looked down from her sky and all others in the village slept, a small single bark canoe left the shores of Cayuga Creek. Her paddle moving with short, sure strokes, its lone passengers steered the boat into the rushing waters of the Niagara River. Downstream, the rumbling noise of the Great Falls of Niaga could be heard. Then, as the current swept her faster and faster downstream, Aweoha threw away her paddle. Forgive me, my parents, she said, raising her hands. Now I must join you in death. I give myself into the hands of the thunderers, whose voices come from the great falls. 
Folding her hands in a heap, she sat calmly as the bark canoe rushed downstream, was lifted as if it weighed no more than a drifting leaf, and catapulted over the lip of the Great Falls. She closed her eyes, waiting to be smashed to pieces on the rocks below. But instead of striking foam, water, and great stones, she felt herself land on something which stopped her fall. She opened her eyes. She was at the base of the falls. In front of her, like a great wall of ice, flowed the falling water, and her face was moist with the mist. She was resting on a big blanket which was held firmly by three men. Aweoha looked at them, and then looked quickly away. Surely this was a dream. They were dressed in warrior costume, and on the head of each was a single large feather. They were more handsome and strong men than any men she had ever seen before. One warrior was taller than the others. On his back was a pack basket filled with pieces of flint stone. "'Little sister,' said the tallest of the men, "'we heard you call our name. "'Often have we watched you from above as you worked without complaint. "'We have seen how you always give thanks for the fruits of the earth "'and for the good rain which we send. "'It was not right that one such as you should end her life in this way.' Aweoha could hardly believe her ears. "'This man was Heino, the thunderer, and the others were his helpers. "'These men were the ones who ranged the sky, "'sending down the rain to help the earth, "'the ones whose lightning bolts terrified evildoers and protected the good.' Often she had heard it said that the Thunderers lived beneath the Great Falls, liking the sound of its thunder. Now she knew it was true. Nyawe, she said, I thank you for my life. All three of the men smiled at her. Come, said the leader. His voice was deep and rumbled like the thunder, yet it was filled with peace. You shall stay with us now. So it was that Water Lily came to dwell with the Thunderers. As time went on, it became clear that there was love between her and the leader of the Thunderers, and the two were married. Things went on happily for them, and when the space of four seasons had passed, Aweoha gave birth to a son. Now, my wife, said Heino, you must go for a time to live among your own people. Our son must know what it is like to be a human being. When the time is right, you shall return to us again. Nyo, Aweoha said. It was right. Though she had been badly treated by the aunt, she longed to see her own people again. Their son should know something of the human world. Now listen well, said Heino. These are matters of great importance. As you bring up our son, you must remember to keep him hidden away. Tell no one who his father is. As he grows, caution him never to grow angry at anyone. As long as he remembers this, he can remain among human beings. Now that you are returning to your people, I must tell you why it is that so many have died of sickness. Under your village in a great burrow lives a monstrous snake. This snake eats the bodies of your people after they die and have been buried. It does not come out of the earth for fear we will kill it with our lightning stones. It goes to the places where your people drink, and it poisons the waters so they will die in numbers to satisfy its appetite. This it does once a year. Then it sleeps again until it feels hunger. Soon it will wake again. Before it wakens, you must tell your people to move to the Buffalo Creek. Bearing her husband's words in mind, Aweoha returned to her people at Gaugua. Her face shone like a cloud touched by the sun, and her clothing was so fine and beautiful that the people did not recognize her. But Sweaty Hands and the aunt thought this strange woman with a child whose face was covered in its cradleboard looked something like that girl they had lost. To the clan mothers, Aweoha spoke her words of warning with such simple eloquence that they were convinced of the truth. They, in turn, spoke to the Council of Elders, and before three sunrises had come and gone, the whole village had moved to Buffalo Creek. That night, the monstrous serpent woke. It crawled through its burrows to poison the springs. Then it waited in a hole beneath the place where the Gaugua people buried their dead. 
For the space of a moon it waited, yet no dead bodies were buried. Its hunger grew greater and greater. Finally, it pushed its head out of the earth to see what was wrong. Around it was a deserted village. The monstrous serpent grew angry. How could they dare to move away? Scenting the trail they had taken, it came out of the ground, heedless of danger. It crawled into the lake where their canoes had gone and began to go up Buffalo Creek. Looking down from a cloud in the sky, Heno and his warriors saw that the time was right. As the serpent came up the narrow creek, its body filling it from one bank to the other, Heno hurled a thunderstone. It struck the serpent in its side, making a terrible wound. The monster squirmed and thrashed about, trying to turn around and seek the safety of the deeper water, but the thunderer struck again and again. To this day, the banks of that stream are curved in the spots where the monstrous serpent shoved against its sides. At last, the monster was dead. It began to float downstream and entered the river. Down it floated until it reached the great falls and lodged against the stones, its body stretching across the river like a broken circle. For a time, the water was held back. Then a great piece of the falls broke away. The place where the monstrous serpent's body became caught is today called the Horseshoe Falls. As the stones fell, they destroyed the place where the Thunderers had lived. Though the great falls still echo their voices, no longer would Haino and his helpers dwell beneath the falls. From that day forward, their dwelling place on earth has been far to the west. Now the people of Gaugua were happy. They gave great honor to Aweoha and built for her a lodge at the edge of the village. She asked to be allowed to live there in seclusion, and no one thought of troubling her, except the aunt and sweaty hands. The aunt began to spread stories about this woman with a baby and no husband. Sweaty hands asked again and again why it was that no one was allowed to see the child's face. Most of the people would not listen to such gossip, saying that Hawaneo, our creator, did not like human beings to talk badly about each other. But still the aunt and sweaty hands persisted. Seasons came and went. The baby grew to be a small boy crawling about the floor of the lodge, but still no one was allowed to see his face. Finally, one night, the aunt and sweaty hands could stand it no longer. They would go together and confront this woman who so resembled their Aweoha of old. If indeed she was that girl, she would be forced to marry Sweaty Hands, baby or not. The aunt brought a willow switch, and Sweaty Hands carried a stick which was shaped like a snake. Some of the people in the village saw where they were headed and thought to stop them, but a wise old woman shook her head. Neh, she said, wait a bit. Those who think evil of others usually bring it upon themselves. When the aunt and Sweaty Hands reached the lodge of Aweoha and her son, they paused at the door. A stick had been leaned across the doorway. This meant that those within the lodge did not wish to be disturbed. They paid no attention and pushed their way in. There, in front of a small fire, sat Aweoha. Across from her, his back turned to them, her small son sat, playing with some chips of flint. Ha! said the aunt in her loud, angry voice. Now I know you, my niece. You will come with us now and marry this man as I promised. She stepped across the fire and grabbed Aweoha by the arm, raising the switch to strike her. Sweaty Hands stepped forward to grab Aweoha's other arm, but as he did so, he looked for the first time into the face of Aweoha's child. The eyes of the boy caught his attention. At first they were the clear blue of a calm sky, but as they took in the sight of these two people threatening his mother, they became as gray and dark as a thundercloud. With an angry shout, the boy hurled the chips of flint in his small hands at the two intruders. Immediately two bolts of lightning struck the aunt in Sweaty Hands. When the smoke cleared, Aweoha and her son stood there alone. From the sky came a great cloud. As it touched the earth, Heno and his two helpers stepped down. Now, said Heno, it is time for you both to return to us. And so it was. Aweoha and the son of Heno joined him. 
From that day there were four thunderers, for the boy grew up to join his father. At times, though, the thunder boy comes down and walks on the earth, remembering the short time when he was a human being. And when storms roll across the sky, you can sometimes hear the lightning answer from below as Thunder Boy and his father speak to each other. Oh, I like it. Yeah. That's very cool. And I've been to the Horseshoe Falls and Niagara Falls. Yes. And they are very cool places. I love to hear about the origins of things. That's very cool. Yeah, I like that one. It was a little long, but I thought it was a good story. That's a good story. And like I said, I wanted to read it in exactly the words that it was written Mm -hmm. there. Which, because a lot of First Nations uh, stories are oral Mm -hmm. stories, um, Mm -hmm. that's probably not the way that it would be told every time. Mm -hmm. But that was the way that I found it. It's beautiful. And I wanted to not embellish. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful. That was beautiful. I love it. Uh, Elle says, like, Cinderella, but more badass. Very much so. Yes. Exactly. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, what is with these aunts and yeah. stepmothers being so evil yep. to these sweet girls? Uh, Ran and Gray says, that was so well written. Who was the author again or the website? Uh, uh, it didn't have a, an author listed, but it was on firstpeople.us. There you um, go. And they have a lot of, of legends from various tribes there. That's very cool. Yep. Very cool. All right. Well, I think that is it for us. Yep. That is all the stories we have tonight. Mm-hmm. So if you would like to find out more about us, okay. you can Google you can us. Find us at... <laughs> you can Google us with the number three and the words pagans and a cat, or the number three and the letters P-A-A-C. Mm-hmm. We also have a website at the number three pagansandacat.com where you can find links to the various things we do, mm-hmm. including our Patreon, where you can support us. And Gwyn's Patheos Pagan blog, mm-hmm. the archives of which is still up, even though she hasn't updated in like a year. It has been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, if you want to find where Gwyn is doing things, she is currently on TikTok. Yep, yep. You can find some of my stuff on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I'm also on Instagram. Yep. Of course, we have a Facebook group. and Right, we have a Facebook Discord. group. We have a Discord server, yep. um, which everyone is invited to join. Yep. All right, but otherwise, thank you for listening. Yep. We and, love you, as always. And and we're done. That's we're it. We're done. <laughs> have a good night. We'll Goodbye. see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>